You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah youths. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, the youths get a big win over their rival in Colorado, and we look ahead to Washington State as Utah finishes out the regular season. And we have some transfer news that are, that's are that been hitting the airways. I'm Cameron, and I got Ryan. What's up, you Nation? And Scott. What is up? We rode roughshod over those buffs. That's what's up. Big second half from the Utes, man. Good to see. Finally, we get a second half that was entertaining. They didn't cause, like, heart issues. Well, how bizarre was it? I mean, I was... We go into half. We got the field goal, obviously, but it was still trailing at halftime. We we got the field goal because of bonehead yes, play. Yes. But still trailing. Come out of the gates. They get they get the ball first. First play, eighty yards to touchdown. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's here we go again. And then they didn't score again. I mean, technically the Colorado offense only put two two offensive scores on the board. You know, I mean, yeah, the you, punt return. You take away that punt return, and it's a complete domination of a of a football and game. And that punt return was on Lennon. <laughs> but the thing that's so crazy, though, is even though Colorado was only up by four at halftime, right? It was ten to fourteen. It didn't feel like a four point lead to me, at least. Like it seemed like Colorado was playing so much better than Utah in that first half. Well, it was it was self inflicted mistakes in that second quarter. I mean. Right out of the gates, you come. They they come out, and that first drive of the game, we looked amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. running it down their throat, passing it, big chunk plays, easy score, especially to Solomon Enos. We we targeted Solomon Enos in the first drive for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? I heard Bentley was calling all the plays. Insane. Okay, can we talk? I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, Scott, but can we Just talk kidding. about Solomon Enos real quick? Can you believe that's only his second career touchdown at Utah? I believe it because it says it in the stats, but it is it is a little hard to believe. It really is. You got to get him the ball. For such a big target, 6-4 good hands. You know, it was it was it was good to see when they got in that opportunity that he was the target and I mean that was that was a easy pitch and catch for both Bentley and Solomon to get in the end zone and score. And huge momentum, unfortunately, they just didn't do anything offensively after that. Three and out, stalled running game, kind of got a little vanilla offensively. Well, they got a, it almost seemed like they went away from what worked in that opening drive. They they kept going, run try to run between the tackles, and there was nothing there. And then they got away from the throw game, which which really is what got them down on that opening drive. Uh, it wasn't until the second half where they started really you know, opening it up again. And then the running game opened up because the passing game was successful. Well, and it's just like what we've been talking about almost every game this season is they just, and I don't know if, if it's play calling or if it's the offensive players, but they just kind of become a shell of themselves. And, and to your point, Ryan, they don't spread the ball around. They don't, you know, they, they don't try to spread the defense. They don't try to get the ball out quickly. They just try to power run it between the tackles. And that's not how this team is built. This offensive line, uh, everything else about it, they're, they're just not built to do that. And they have so much speed. They, can, they have enough speed to get around the edges. And I get why you need to run the ball up the middle. And that, that's, part of, that's part of football. But when it's not working, you can't just keep going to it. And, and luckily they figured that out, right? I mean, it's only, it only took them four games to get there, but that second half was what I think the, the small glimpses that we've seen every single game finally clicked. Well, you know, I, I think they kind of found themselves. They found how the type of offense they're going to be. And if you think about it, four games in, well, guess what? In a regular season... Your fourth game is game number is really game number one of conference play, and so I mean, trust me, I I've been very hard on the offense, both on Twitter, both in this podcast. <laughs> but if you really look at look at it, 
with what uh, with what Bentley's had to go through and the change in the offseason, the whole COVID issue, and really four games in, you saw you saw some moments where the offense was really good and they were productive and they were consistent at times. And then obviously times so they just kind of go off the rails. But uh, that second half was really big, and 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 we were very fortunate that Landman, linebacker for Colorado, went down because you know we were told that was the only reason that Utah was having success offensively was because he got injured. Sounds like a BYU excuse. Yeah, that was that was interesting, huh? That was uh, Clat Clat loves himself some <laughs> Landman. <laughs> And I know, and and you know, not to take anything away from the kid. Obviously, he's he's proven, and he's he's a really good player. But it was a little interesting that that was he kept referencing. Well, this Utah offense didn't take over until uh, Landman left the game, and eh, pretty interesting. But I, I I came away. I I don't have a lot of negatives, even though they were pretty ugly in outside of one drive in that first half. Overall, I thought it was a probably. Obviously, the best performance the offense has shown through four games, but a lot of promise. A lot of promise. So obviously, we're going to get you know a little bit more into Bentley um, and some and some tight Jordan. Uh, I want to I want to kind of kick off talking some offensive line. So I thought the offensive line overall kind of really up and down. Um, you know, they they had some struggles, especially in in, in that first half. Uh, Braden Daniels came in. I thought you know played well gave him some some great reps and honestly kind of helped get that team uh moving together uh Nick Ford still playing center you know a couple snap issues and you know I don't want to beat a kid Define down a couple <laughs> I don't want to beat a, a, a kid down for making mistakes uh but I mean there there were a couple that were at Bentley's feet uh, on the goal line with Keithy and the shotgun um and, and I know Nick Ford that's not his natural position he's not the starting center I understand that. Uh, but I think with this team, I, I think it's just those little things. That's on this offensive side of the ball. Those little things, they just kind of keep continuing cleaning up. Uh, they're going to get better. Well, and you're seeing progress from the offensive line. They're, you know, they're definitely not the strength of the, of the offense by any means at this point. But they do show glimpses. When, when we're able to run the ball and run it consistently, they're getting to the second level. I mean, that was talked about constantly in the game. Was and you were seeing it. They would they make that initial block. They get to the second level, which allowed bigger runs and more yardage from uh, from Ty Jordan. And and at times, I think they're 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 blocking pretty well in the pass game. And in other times, they're just flat out missing assignments. And uh, you know, I, I'm still not sure. I mean, if you look across the line, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. I'm just not sure we have a left tackle at the moment. But luckily, I think you Umana is on his way back. So that slide doesn't that slide forward over? Yeah, but but if you if you listen to Kyle Winningham's comments, he says that. Oh, you said left tackle. I'm sorry. I thought guard. Ford is going to be an interior lineman. So I'm I'm assuming he's going to go left guard. Um, and uh, that puts Bills and maybe uh, Braden Daniels out uh, on onto the bench. Unless one of those guys can can compete for the left tackle spot, because I think that's still kind of one of the weaknesses of of that line, and and Mawala may get there. He you know last year he was playing right tackle, left tackle's a lot different. And with time, I mean he's a big body, talented guy. He may get there, but I'm just not sure he's he's there quite yet. Okay, so I know there's a lot more of this offense. Uh, we got to hit Bentley Jordan, as I said. Uh, we're up against a break. Let's take a, a quick timeout when we come back. Let's start diving into this offensive unit. So can we just say that this was Jake Bentley's best game as a Ute? I mean, is that even debatable? Oh, by far. I mean, you know, we just got done talking about the offensive line, and at times they 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 struggled, but. There's one guy back, well, there's two guys back there, but one guy in particular that I'm thinking that made them look good at times was Jake Bentley. How many times did he s- scramble and fight for first downs? Dude does not know how to slide. He d- he takes punishment, punishing hits. He does? 
it, it, yeah, he's not afraid to get hit. He he knows where the marker is. He knows what he has to do. It's a good thing he's got a, some some meat on his bones because some of these hits, I just kind of look at and go, "Geez, dude, you're." I hope you get up. But I say, I wonder if that's just that's just his personality, right? And I mean, he was voted a team captain with only being here a couple months. Uh, you hear him after every game, even in in the two losses when he's done his interviews, he he's taking full credit. Uh, for the mistakes, he doesn't make excuses, and I think this game really showcased his abilities. He struggled in the first half, you know, maybe got a talking to from Mulligan and Winningham at halftime, and really bounced back. Or that really shows just the leader he is, the the senior he is. And I know it's great because they won, right? And everyone's a champion when you win. Everyone looks good when you win, but. Man, that's just night and day difference but for th- Bentley. That's not that's not the first game we've seen him do this. I mean, throughout the those four games, we've seen him fight for the extra yards when he's running the ball. I mean, is there a better way to gain the respect of your teammates than to to do things like that? To lay your body out to keep a drive alive? Well, yeah, I mean, he's gaining but he's gaining respect of the, from this fan base. I mean, it, me in particular, I I was not a fan of him through the first few games of the season, you know, and just now very you're president. Very inconsistent. I did I did start the the fan club, so I am the president. It's probably the first thing I've been the president of in my life. But um but I'll tell you, he he won me over because in that second half he wasn't making mistakes. He was accurate with the ball for the most part. He still had a few few passes here and there. But he was leading the offense, and he was allowing the guys around him to go and make plays. And and, and you saw it. I mean, you look across the board at this game, and uh, it wasn't just one guy running with the show here. I mean, you, you look across. Obviously, Brenton Covey, he, he led the way by, by a large margin with nine receptions, 76 yards. But Brant Keithy was involved in the passing game. He was involved in the run game. Brian Thompson, Solomon Enos, obviously three receptions did get the get the the one touchdown. Fotheringham with probably one of the cleanest hurdles I've ever that was seen. A, wow. Amazing! Oh For a my guy gosh! That size to get that much air that was impressive. Well, he like stopped and then jumped. Like that was the other crazy thing. I don't. I, I was kind of wondering. Like I, you, we all saw it coming, right? He, oh, totally. He did the stutter, and I'm like, how does the defender not see this coming? And he didn't even get a finger on him. <laughs> That was that was a beautiful play, and but what I liked about what Ludwig did and what um, Bentley did is a lot of guys were involved in the game. We got these athletes, we got the 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 talent involved, and so we were not one dimensional, and it it made this offense fun to watch. And obviously, when you got when you've got somebody like Britton Covey who can get separation on literally every route he runs to see nine receptions. I mean, just, just as a Ute fan, does it not bring like peace to your soul that a wide receiver ended the game with nine receptions? You don't see that very often. Well, we've talked about how we Winningham wants a balanced attack, right? 32 attempts and 40 carries. Uh, out, out of the run, that's the closest. That's bounce. close. Yeah. That's close. And what we've talked about, you know, you never want to be a hundred percent fifty fifty, but you want them to be pretty close. Only an eight attempt difference between the two. Phenomenal, phenomenal play calling by Ludwig this game. Uh, and and to your point, Scott, the ball getting shared around. Well, I mean, you, you look at the rushing side of things. Ty Jordan obviously leads the way with seventeen attempts. I like that he didn't have twenty five attempts. Like he did last game. Because now, especially with some transfer news, we're a little thinner at the running back position. But I mean, you, you we're starting to see Mika Bernard get some get some confidence. And I mean, he doesn't come in and just get three yards and go to the sideline. The guy is averaging pretty significantly in the run game right now. Oh, and they're pass blocking between Ty Jordan and Bernard. 10 steps better this week than they've been previous. Like I yeah. know that's something, you know, and, it, and they're both freshmen. Offering. One's yes. a true, one's a redshirt, but still a freshman on 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 both those guys. So you're going to have two sophomores next year. 
young guys that are getting the job done, right, not just running the ball, but like you said, pass protection, which Mika Bernard had quite a few nice blitz pickups in that you, second there half. There was one, he, he picked up two guys on one block. Phenomenal. I, I mean, again, right, it, like what I said, everything's better when you win, but it's like what I said, it's all these glimpses that we've seen um, over the last couple of games, and it, it, it clicked. And I think that's why I'm so excited and why I'm so excited talking about it is because we saw this, you know, one series, they'd be phenomenal, and then it would take them a couple of series to get back to that point. In this game against Colorado, in that second half, heck, starting at the end of the second quarter to get that field goal, it just seemed like they just clicked and they were in rhythm. Now, the biggest thing is, can they carry that over to Washington State? You know, that, that's the next evolution that this team needs to take. But looking at this Colorado team, or this Colorado game, Ty Jordan, 17 carries, 147 yards, two touchdowns. The dude is lightning. Lightning McQueen, as, as Scott likes to call him. Kachow. What what can you say? I mean, he's he's entering freshman All American um, level of play right now. What he's doing is literally unheard of, and this is coming from a fan base who's used to watching amazing running backs year after year after year. Utah just replaces studs; they don't even go through years of having to create that stud and develop that stud. We just have them in four games, four hundred and forty three yards. As a true freshman, and he just supplanted all. Utah's had four transfers in the running back position in one calendar year. Devontae Henry, Henry Cole last year. T.J. Green leaves uh, before the you know before games actually started this year. You know, and then today, obviously, some breaking news on on the Ute front. If uh, I'm sure most everybody's heard by now. But uh, both uh, Jordan Wilmore and Brumfield have entered the transfer portal and are gone effective immediately, which... Which is strange with one game left for sure, plus the possible bowl game. It is strange, but I, I honestly think everyone's transferring right now. Something in the in the last like week and a Dude, half, let, there's 200 guys that have entered the transfer portal. Larry Kristoyak has started a trend, and now it's <laughs> bleeding into football. And just dudes are transferring left and right. Look what you've done, Thanks, Larry. Larry. No, I mean, but but what does that say about, I mean, obviously Ty Jordan's the, the reason, right? You've got a Jordan Wilmore who was in, I mean, he was an enormous recruit when we got him. When they flipped him, okay, right, he was a USC commit, decommitted, he was leaning ASU. Utah flipped him the morning of signing day from ASU. And, I mean, the, he's only a sophomore, so there's a ton of potential for him still, you know. And then um, Brumfield's been in the program for three years. He's kind of paid his dues, and unfortunately, he just got passed up. So I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I was not shocked when the news came through first this morning that Brumfield was transferring. Kind of expected that. He was just kind of being outclassed at the position a little bit. And he being a junior, when a true freshman comes in and takes your spot, that, that kind of makes sense. A little bit, I was a little surprised that we, we got Wilmore today. I thought maybe in the offseason he looks at an opportunity elsewhere. I was a little surprised he, he, the news broke today that he's gone. So looking at it, where do you guys think this hurts Utah? Um, at the running back I mean, position. I hate you, Scott. Obviously, depth, it, it, it hurts because I mean, we found out on the coaches show uh, on Monday night that they're going to dress a, 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 a walk-on to add some depth. Uh, Who won't see back. any playing time because you've got Keithy and Covey that could play in emergencies. But I, I think, though, with Brumfield, you know, in those short yardage distances when you need kind of a, a back that can brew some people up, I, I think that's where he, he fit his role. Unfortunately, that role was just diminishing. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and again, in a throwaway season, even if the Utes do end up get, going to a bowl game, it's not going to be anything to write home about. You know? So there's really nothing on the line for these guys. So I think that kind of maybe, um, I think that probably sped up this process, decision-making process for these guys, which is the type of season this is. And, and really, you're just kind of playing out the last game or two on the schedule so 
But, uh, you know, let's not forget, Utah's got a pretty talented kid coming in in this next recruiting class who will be a true freshman next year um, by the name of Ricky Parks. Big time commit. And, I mean, I, I'd put him kind of up there in the Wilmore type of commits. So you're, you're still adding some, some really talent, talented uh, running back. You know, next year, obviously, Ty's, Ty's your guy. Mika Bernard's probably your two, and then you've got a Ricky Parks who, who's going to be fighting for some opportunities as well. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Utah maybe bring in a transfer um, at the running back position because they always like to have four guys. Um, or, or maybe in the, in late in the recruiting process, they, they bring somebody else in to get that fourth body in there. But at, at the end of the day, it's disappointing to see those guys go, but let's be honest, the, the running back position is just fine. So, so you're saying it's just fine. Ryan, where are you on this? I know people on Twitter, a lot of people are acting like the sky is falling right now. Oh, absolutely not falling. I mean, after what we've seen in these first four games with the two freshmen running back, it, the position's in great hands. And, and these two guys, as good as, as good at running backs as they have been and are, the writing was on the wall for them. They want to go someplace where they can be the guy, and I don't blame them for that. But with the two guys that are here now and the high recruit that's coming in this year, they they didn't see an opportunity for them to see the field much, and and I think that's why they left. I'll never knock a kid for transferring or leaving a program. I've I, that kind of what I've said over the last couple of years. It's their life. It's their football career. Um, all we can do as fans is just support them um, wherever they end up. I, I will say though, I don't like the timing. It, it's a little off to me, and with this whole transfer thing, yes, programs are going to have guys coming and leaving. And in January, when the NCAA kind of waves the sit out, one year sit out uh, for a transfer, I think we'll see even more. But I just think that means as a coaching staff, you are recruiting your guys even in the program. And it's just, it's a little shocking to me that both of them leave before the season's over. So are you saying that there's something going on behind the scenes? I don't think anything's going on at the scenes. It just it just feels a little off, and that that's all I'm saying. The, the about ti- I would agree. The timing's weird. Usually, we see these things happen post season, and because of this weird this weird season, we are in a month where we're the season's over. You're typically preparing for a bowl game right now. Um. And maybe that's why the timing is off. We know Wilmore can run the ball. We know Brumfield can run the ball. They they want to go someplace where they can be the man, and it's not going to happen at Utah. No, and, that, and that's a good point, right? I mean, it is during a, a regular year, this would be the normal timing, right? Because then the guys can go check the schools that they want to go to and enroll uh, for the next semester in January. All right, so I think that will do it for our thoughts on the offense. Uh, let's go into defense and before we do that we gotta take a timeout and we'll be right back. So I think the defense played a, a, a solid game against Colorado, really took uh their their rushing attack away what they want to do. Uh Broussard, who had over three hundred yards um the week prior, fourteen carries for eighty yards. Uh, really shut down that that rushing attack. Um, not I guess not a perfect game by the defense. Um, still young, still a lot of mistakes. I know Scott, you don't like Clark Phillips, and we'll get into that. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll we'll get into it. Let's do it. But overall, I think the defense, the biggest takeaway for me, zero penalties. Something that we harped on the week prior. Where hey, they you got to give the Oregon offense State. credit for that too. Yes, but remember last week against Oregon State, they gave seven first downs off off penalties. So a clean game by both sides of the ball. Uh, but really impressed with this defense again. I mean, I, I know it's not like a broken record. That's what we say every week. But they're making progress, and, and, and they're making better better decisions, better plays. Um, obviously, still making a lot of mistakes, and that's why Scott doesn't like Clark Phillips. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to get this out here right now. 
I do not have anything against Clark Phillips. He's going through some growing pains, though. There's no doubt about it, as as most true freshmen are going to go through. And, uh, you know, I think going in, we all expected he he was going to be kind of the star of the secondary. And and there's no doubt about it. The guy's going to be good. He's He's got the talent. He's I think the speed of the game is getting to him a little bit. You know, he, he is getting beat, um, especially on deep throws. He seems to be, you know, one that they're one that they're targeting on that. But it goes to show, I mean, how difficult it is to play that position so young. Okay, so, so I mean, you look at uh, to Travis Broughton, who has been in the program for a little while, doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's gone through fall camps, he's gone through practices, he's been able to play against these wideouts and, and learn the game. And then, and then Clark Phillips is just kind of thrown to the wolves, straight out of uh, straight out of high school, and he, and he's being relied on, both in the slot, and covering the nickel, and uh, and on the outside. And so you're seeing a little bit of growing pains from him. But you know, ultimately, long term, the guy's going to be really good. But um, and 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 looking at this Colorado game. I thought the secondary they had one series in in the in the second quarter where they got absolutely torn apart and they looked awful. Outside of that one series and the one play as you mentioned earlier Ryan coming out of halftime almost just a, a almost kind of just a screen to the to the sideline and uh, that's when you lost it on our text. Yeah, yeah I that, was I was well that's when you said you wanted Clark Phillips in the transfer portal. But oh boy, oh boy! But that's when that's when Kyle Whittingham texted me, and he was frustrated. So I, I in turn was frustrated as well. But no, I mean, I obviously it wasn't. It was not a well defended pl- play by by the secondary by by no means. But it by was really multiple people, not it, just Phillips. Yeah. Exactly. But it was really that it was that one play and then one drive in the second quarter. Outside of that, the defense was. Really, really good. No, I totally get where you're coming from, Scott. Uh, all we heard off season uh, was Clark Phillips and and him exceeding expectations, uh, and maybe that hasn't translated as much into games. I, you know, I think Nate Ritchie's kind of in the same boat. They got a lot of praise uh, from Macau Winningham, which doesn't happen a lot, and, and maybe that was a little unfair to do that to true to to do that to true freshmen. Uh, especially in this wacky off season, uh, but Nick Ritchie, you know, has made a few, a few, a few errors um, back safety. But I do think that this was probably one of his better games he's oh, played. I, I think without a doubt. And, and him hanging around the line of scrimmage, uh, to, I think he had two fumble recoveries. He, 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 had, he had some. Had a, he had some nice tackles. I mean, he had, he had the day that, with six tackles. He had a sack. Um, kind of, kind of his coming out party, I guess. Um, at his position really has a nose for the ball in the run game. Now, I think where his next step is, how does he develop as an overall safety in pass coverage? And you're not going to see that for three years. He did confirm tonight on the Kyle Whittingham Coaches Show that he will be going on a two-year mission after this year. So you're going to see his development. He's going on the Covey plan. He may be here seven years total. <laughs> but uh, that, and that, that's that's a one frustrating part. Obviously, no great for him. And and what he wants to do and uh, to have that type of commitment, I applaud. That's awesome. From from a, a Ute fan football perspective, it's disappointing to see him go when he's really kind of gone through his growing pains. Whereas next year, you could probably see him just take off and just be so good at that at that safety position. But you will be replacing him next year at the safety at that safety spot. So it'll be interesting to see. And does does Vontae come back next year? Are, are we are we back replacing two safeties again next year? So some things to be worked out in the off season. But unless you uh, throw R.J. Hubert into the mix, and there was an R.J. Hubert sighting in the game. He did he did play a little bit. Uh, you didn't see him uh, on the stat sheet as far as you know, really doing a lot. But just getting him back out there, maybe getting some confidence in that knee again is huge because he will be one of the safety that's counted upon next year. Okay, Devin Lloyd. The dude is just a stud. Is he is, is he back next year? I hope so. But there's a I mean there's a chance there's a couple of guys that could be gone. Him and Mika Tafua. I I think Mika's back. Be, uh, I 
I'm just not sure he's ready. He may not to be, be ready, a high but, draft pick, but there's a couple of those last two games he's made some standout plays. He has, and and I think he's stepping into that true number one position on the D line. Right, he can be counted on. He can make some big plays like we've had in every defense in Kyle Whittingham's tenure. Whereas we're now seeing that from Mika. Um, I I would suspect he'll be back. I'm not sure Lloyd's going to be back. You look at Lloyd. Okay, Utah's played four games this year. He's a finalist for the Buckus Award. Yeah. Out of four games. And so obviously that's, a lot of that is what he's done prior, right? And his work last season to, to, be, to be a finalist for award for, the, for the, one of the best linebackers uh, in all of college football. Um, the, the thing I, I really love about watching Lloyd is his game's not flashy. And if you're not paying super close attention, you might not even notice that he's there. But I think it's just because he's doing all the small little things. But he's in every single play. He, I mean, he's almost he's averaging barely under ten tackles a game. He's everywhere. He's literally in on every play. He reminds me a lot of Stevenson Sylvester, although I think he's more talented and has a better pro career ahead of him. Well, Sylvester. Well, I think I mean obviously Sylvester was really good, and and he did play in the league for for a few years, um, and was very productive at Utah. But you, I mean, you look at Devin Lloyd, the dude is six three, and he runs like he's a wideout. He's that size and speed at the linebacker position. I mean, that's that's borderline NFL safety size right there. I mean, he's going to be coveted by NFL teams. With with you just look at his intangibles, but then you 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 factor in alongside of that his production and what he's doing in such a short time at Utah. I I didn't think there was a chance that we would lose him after this year. I'm not sure he's back now. He very well could be could be gone. And the thing that's that you think about is crazy is he wasn't slotted to start last year. Nope. It, it took that Penn State transfer deciding he wanted to open up his own uh, Walmart. And I bring that up because I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with with the transfers out of the out of the running back group. It, it's not great for for guys to transfer. I'm not saying that's something you wish as a program, but it happened. It happens at Alabama. I mean, look at Jalen Hurts. It started for the Philadelphia Eagles this past weekend. Was out at Oklahoma and he transferred out. Uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State was at Georgia. And I'm not saying that Utah's at those same levels. At the running back position, I'd argue we are. True. But this guy isn't falling because guys, guys transfer. You know, it happens and it's time and, and it gives opportunity for others. It's going to give more opportunity for, for Ty Jordan and for uh, Micah Bernard. And, and, and I know, you know, we're, we're on the defense. But what I'm just saying is Devin Lloyd was a result of a transfer. This coaching staff, what they're doing recruiting-wise, and with signing day this week, what they're bringing in, what they're developing, it's not a death sentence to have a guy leave the program oh, no. like it did no. maybe Especially 20 not by years any means. Ago. I mean, you don't want to lose a talented guy like that, but it happens at big-time programs, and we're going to replace him with a very talented linebacker in his spot. Even if he does leave, it may it hurts because you're losing the production that he's that he's throwing out there on the field. But in the long run, it helps in recruiting. I mean, it's another guy that's going to go to the NFL. Especially at a position we have not put people in the NFL. So to, to bring in, I mean, he's not a transfer, right? You always, Cam, your thing with linebacker is we're, we're bringing in transfers, we're bringing in safeties and switching them to, to linebacker. He was, he was brought in from the program as a true freshman, and they developed him, and in a very short time, he's going to be a, probably a pretty high draft pick. And for, for a linebacker position that we just have not had that type of success with, of putting guys in the league, that's huge. And then, and then the, the signing class that they're signing just this week at the linebacking position, by far the best they've ever done. And the cover's not even bare with what you've got. I mean, 
Fotu is no slouch, and well, Nephi Sewell is having a heck of a season. Who saw that coming? Transfer, or well, he was a transfer, was and then he and then he switched from from the safety position last year. Well, we saw him play safety towards the end of last year, and we were like, ooh. And that now that was against the speed of Oregon wideouts, and it was there was definitely a speed difference there, and but but I think the coaches saw that and, and his body type, and said, look. You thrive at the, the linebacker position, and, and, you're, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it. Three interceptions this year. He had he led the team with ten tackles this this week. Dude's good. Dude's good. I mean, if you've got if you've got the, the Sewell bloodline, <laughs> you're probably pretty good at football. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for our thoughts on the Utah Colorado game. Uh, we're up against a break, and we'll take our last time out. When we come back, we'll be talking Washington State Cougars. All right, so Utah draws Washington State uh, in this last week of, of crossover games. Uh, looking at Washington State, first game uh, they beat Oregon State thirty-eight to twenty-eight, and I was—that's that, the best game they played. That got me high on them because I was thinking really low um, after the coaching change after Leach left. Uh, but then after that, you know they they haven't had much. They they played Oregon forty-three to twenty-nine. Their game against Stanford was canceled. Then they lost to USC 38-13. to and They got their, smoked <laughs> by USC. That wasn't even that close. Game against Cal was canceled. Uh, so they've only played three games, one and two on the year. Uh, you know, tough games to go against Oregon and USC. But if you look at including the Oregon State game, they've given up a lot of points. Well, and and they're the first team on the Pacific uh, time zone to have to travel to an away game at a 10 a.m. start <laughs> in cold weather. It's a poor, uh, poor Washington State because the Pac-12 doesn't like them. How many other teams have traveled to the Palouse and played in horrible weather? Yeah, Ian Furness, that was pretty good on Twitter <laughs> this week. He was he was griping. Yeah, I, you know, Washington State's not a metropolis of uh, of warm weather, so uh, I don't really understand that take. But, you know, I don't really know what to expect from Washington State. New coach, young talent, and their season has been absolutely decimated due to COVID. So I, are you even going to get a team that even has any fight in them? That even has any ability to come out and put a put a decent football together, football game. I I really don't know where to go on this team. They've got a good young quarterback, but he's young. He's had some good moments, but just the fact that they played, they've only played three games, and and how their season's gone to this point. I just don't see. I don't see them putting up much of a fight with the Utah team that's kind of hitting their stride at the moment. It's gonna be a rough go uh, for them uh, running the ball against Utah. Let's just put it. Let's just leave it at that. That's the breakdown. They won't run the ball on Utah. I mean, in general, Washington Washington State doesn't really run the ball very much. Um, I think this year they're only averaging 134 yards a game, uh, but passing, averaging almost 250 yards a game. I think that's where they like to like to go. Um, it's not a traditional air raid offense that that Leach ran, um, but I still think they have some. They do still they still run like to run similar things to that, so they are going to throw the ball around a lot. So I think they'll look at what Colorado was doing in the first half, maybe try to mirror that and really take advantage of of Utah's youth in in the secondary, and, and that shouldn't be surprised. I think every team so far Utah has played, that's where they've tried to attack. And the alternative is to go against. Uh and force running the ball against the best rush defense in the league, you really don't have much of a choice. They're they're gonna throw they're gonna throw the ball and that's where if they find success, that's where it's gonna happen. But again, this will be another opportunity for this young secondary to continue to improve and 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 continue to build on the progress and success that they've had so far through four games. Uh so Washington State is starting a, a freshman and Jaden Delara, uh freshman quarterback out of Hawaii. It, you know, only three games under his belt uh, this season. You know, I I really like that for this Utah secondary. What you said, Scott, to kind of make that next step. I'm really curious to see what Scally does. 
trying to hide their their coverage uh, in the secondary. Because I think right now, with how young this defense is, they've been trying to play a lot of just just straight up, right? They're not trying to do anything too fancy. But but they are playing more zone than we've. They seen have been in, playing in a lot past. more zone. But what I'm saying is maybe this is where, you know, they kind of let this defense have a little bit more slack, um, if you will, in in what they're doing. Why not take an opportunity to put some pressure on and fuse the freshman quarterback? Well, and that's where you, you, you hope to see that defensive line pressure continue to improve as well. That Mika Tafua, Max Tupai, maybe even some of these young guys, Van Fillinger, can get some reps and have success rushing the quarterback. Obviously, you know, late in games, I think, is where we're seeing our most success. Mika Tafua has been really good in the third and fourth quarter the last couple of weeks. Uh, early in the game, we just is where the defensive line is getting next to no pressure. And you saw that, in the, especially in that second quarter where Colorado had success throwing the ball and moving, moving the ball offensively, is their quarterback, Noyes, had all day to throw in, in a really nice pocket. So that's, that's where, especially with a young quarterback, they got to come on the road, get some pressure on him early, and um, I just think, I think they'll fold. They're a young team. I I just I just don't see I don't see this one being close. All right, and we'll give our our scores as we do our Pac-12 pick'em games. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into some Pac-12 news. Um, a lot going on in the conference right now. So the championship game was set between the Huskies and the Trojans. Washington had to cancel because of COVID reasons. Oregon now steps in, taking their place. Oregon Ducks and the USC Trojans for the Pac-12 championship this Friday. Just and then Colorado's having to travel down to USC and not have a game. Well, it's it's been a it's been an absolute disaster the way that shocker Larry Scott has has designed this. And you know, you wonder where's Merton Hanks? How much involvement is he? I mean, he should be kind of the guy designing a lot of this. And you're going to fly, originally you were going to fly Colorado and Oregon down to play in the Coliseum a day later, just so they're both on standby in the event UW or uh, um, USC is not able to play last minute, they step into the title game. Well now, Oregon's, or Colorado's got nobody to play and probably will still have to travel down and be in California Friday night in the event. USC can't play late. And the thing that I think is most ridiculous is if Washington was still going to try to play this game, you're going to make Oregon prep for Colorado and USC. You're going to make USC prep for Washington and Oregon. Well, that's really the most important one. This is the, this is the title game. This is what you play for to get to this game. And you're going to make USC potentially prep for two teams all week? I mean, the plan that the conference continually comes up with and the lack of of foresight to be able to f- see some of these things and put a better plan in place is absolutely ridiculous. I get they're dealing with some hard things right now and potentially some guys or you know teams not being able to play a game. I get it. But it's just one blunder after another. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. And you see Colorado, had they beaten Utah last week, could have been undefeated and still not had a chance to play for the title um, with how things have gone. It's just, it's it's one joke after another. You got to, I kind of feel bad for Colorado with the situation they're in right now. If I was Colorado, I'd tell them to stick it. You're going to make me bring my entire team to L.A., to not play a game, most likely. Oh yeah, that. And Disneyland's not even open. They can't even send them to Disneyland. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's horrible, horrible planning. But that's that's. What do you expect from from the Pac-12? What do you expect from this leadership? <laughs> over and over again, just proves they literally have no clue what they're doing. Charter a flight, book a hotel room for an book a hotel for your entire football team, and you're not gonna play. You're just there on standby. 
and it's and it's for the conference title. This isn't just a, a week five game. This is for your conference title. It is just blunder after blunder. We shouldn't even be in this position had we just started on time instead of trying to be the smartest people in college football, which we clearly are not. And it should have started on time, and we wouldn't be in this position right now. If anything, kick Arizona out. They suck. Yeah, they probably they probably appreciate not having to play. <laughs> so speaking of Arizona, they fire Sumlin after their beating uh, that they took from ASU. 70 points. Uh, and we talked about it. We, we were all speculating Sumlin wasn't going to be there much longer. Uh, didn't even make it that night. 12 hours. Crazy, crazy uh, just going on. And a lot of names have been been thrown around at the Arizona job. And then there's rumors circulating today online that Cristobal may be leaving the the conference. Which, as much as I would like to see him go, because of what he's doing in recruiting, what he's doing in the state of Utah in recruiting, you know, I'm still not sold he's really that good of a coach, but he's he's an elite recruiter. There's no question about that. If if we lose him to the SEC, at what point is the Pac-12 going to be able to get any credibility? You've got to be able to retain good coaches. You've got to be able to have good programs that are good year after year who can make noise on a national level and get in that playoff. And if we just keep losing the top coaches in the league every offseason, what are we going to do? I mean, USC doesn't even have a good coach, so they don't have a good coach to lose. But are, but are really, are we surprised after what the conversation we just had? No, no, I, no we're, I'm not surprised at all, but that's where we have to change. If we want to be taken seriously as a conference, you got to do something on the national level. And if you want to do something on the national level, you got to you got to get and retain good coaches. You just can't lose them. You got you got to first start by getting a commission. Well, that's hopefully something that can be addressed in the offseason. But these coaches I I I hate to say it, but Oregon has got to step up to the plate and they've got to make him an offer to stay here. But we want to say the commissioner, it's also on the the CEO group, right? The presidents, the chancellors of the universities. And they're the ones that are part of the hiring process for the coaches. Well, I'm sorry, but if Phil Knight can't keep a coach, what chance do any of us have? No, I, I agree with you. That's we the Pac-12 needs good coaching because good coaching will result in better programs, which will result in better a better product. All right, as we go into our pickup game uh, from last week, uh, we all went three and one. Uh, we all got the ASU game. Right, so ASU beat Arizona seventy-seven, as you said, Ryan. Just a beatdown um, of the Wildcats. Washington Oregon game was canceled, and then UCLA USC. I got that game right. You guys got it wrong. UCLA had the lead, and I what? Even though I picked US, even though I picked USC, I was cheering for UCLA because I thought how awesome would have been that Colorado was that close to making the Pac-12 championship game, and it was Utah that knocked them out. A little payback for what they did to us in 2011. So 43-38 for the Trojans. Uh, Cal, Washington State was canceled. Stanford beats Oregon State 27-24. to And then the last game, Utah beats Colorado, and I'm so glad I was wrong on that pick. Told you, Cam. It was a little disappointing that you were turncoat on that one. All right, looking at this week's games, Oregon and USC are playing for the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, the line came out. USC is a three-point favorite. It's my week to go first. I'll take the Trojans to be the Pac-12 champions and head to the Rose Bowl. Ryan? It's got to be the Trojans. I have not been impressed at all with Oregon. They looked good early, but the, their last couple of games not so great. And and we all know when when USC's focused, and, and clearly when when they're focused, they they can produce. Because how many times this just in the four or five games this year, they've trailed late in the game and come back and pulled out the victory. Yeah, Trojans all the way. Scott. Yeah, I'm going with Trojans. I th- I think I mean they're they're the best team in the conference. They've they've proven that over obviously a shortened season, um, but for, for the sake of the conference, 
if if there's ever a chance, if there's ever a time where you're going to make sure your referees secure a win for a team, <laughs> this is the game to do it. USC has to be the Pac-12 title winner. If Oregon is, it's another shot on the Pac-12. You need a you need an undefeated USC to f- finish high in the rankings for the sake of the conference. Uh, next game, the Stanford Trees are traveling to UCLA Bruins. UCLA is a seven point favorite. I have never liked UCLA. I'm kind of getting on their side a little bit. I'm going with the Bruins in that one, right? Going with the Bruins. They're the, they're uh, able to put up some points. Um, they can't stop anybody, but they can yeah, score defensively. They're they're awful, but they can they can score on pretty much anybody. So go with the Bruins, Scott. Yeah, I'm going Bruins as well on that one. I I I just I just think they roll over Stanford. Uh, next game, ASU's traveling to Carvallis to play the Oregon State Beavers. ASU's a seven-point favorite. After putting up 70 points against the Wildcats, I got the Sparkies in that one. Forks up, right? Oregon State with their backup quarterback. Yeah, not going to happen. Scott, where are you going? Well, the poor Beavs. I, you know, they've, uh, they're up against it. Uh, I don't see them... Uh, I don't. I don't see much of a. I don't see much of a fight in this game. I'm going to go ASU. They're coming off 70 points of beating the rival. Either they're going to be drunk and just out to lunch in this game, or they throttle Oregon State. I'm going with the latter. I think they throttle them. ASU. And the last game we're looking at is Washington State's traveling to Utah. Utah's a 10 and a half point favorite. I got the Utes in that one, uh, and I don't think this is going to be close at all. I think Utah's what they did against the second half against Colorado, I think they'll be able to build on that. This offense is rolling. I got Utah 35-17. Ryan? Utes all the way at home to wrap up this crazy season. And I'm going big. Utah 48, Washington State 17. Scott, where are you going? Ooh, I may just have to one-up Ryan on this. I think I think we hang a 50-burger on him. A fifty burger. Fifty burger. I think I think we went big. I'm gonna go fifty one to twenty eight Utes. All right, that will do it for this episode, Ryan. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum the letter N Feather. And Scott? Ute Man underscore forever. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. You can always go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com and make sure that you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere to listen to a podcast, we are there. But we release interviews throughout the week for both football and basketball, so you don't want to miss those. And hopefully Utah gets a win to finish out the regular season right. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes will be till I die, Kai We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.